Podcasting from the Chicagoland area, this is Game On with Jackson Stewart, where we discuss men's lifestyle, focusing on sex, fitness, relationships, business, and more. We'll be interviewing the best of the best, the hot shots, and the rising stars in the worlds of modeling, fitness, cooking, and more. Influencers who are discussing keeping it sexy while at the top of their game. I'm your host, Jackson Stewart. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the game. What if you could be a better player for the cost of one more cup of coffee a month? Get access to a growing library of lit erotica, behind-the-scenes action, and player's guides with tips on drinking, cooking, fitness, dating, sex, and life after dark. Low tier rate while offer lasts. Patreon.com. Game on with Jack. Keep it sexy and game on. This is Risqué, and you're listening to Game On with Jackson Stewart. Communication is part of the game, and a true player is good at not only getting their point across, but receiving the messages and meanings of others. But the game can be divisive, and in no greater place than the discussion of politics. Our guest this evening is here to walk us through it. Corey Nathan was raised in an observant Jewish household, attending an Orthodox synagogue. Corey grew up on the Jersey side in Bruce Springsteen country. In his late 20s, Nathan converted to Christianity and began his path on bridging gaps. A stockbroker by trade, Nathan continues to be a student of theology, politics, and culture, and enjoys sharing invigorating conversations with world-renowned experts of these subjects on his podcast, Talking Politics and Religion, without killing each other. Corey Nathan is also our guest this evening on Game On with Jackson Stewart. All right, guys, you've heard the introduction and the bio. Now join me in welcoming to Game On the thoughtful, the engaging Corey Nathan. Corey, how you doing? I am doing great, Jackson. It's so good to be with you. Thank you so much for uh, for coming on the show, and I'm, I'm super excited about today's topic. Can you let the audience know where to find you and uh, on like what social media platforms and by what username? Oh, yeah, sure. So I have the platforms for myself, which is Corey S. Nathan, C-O-R-E-Y S as in Sam Nathan, like the hot dogs, Corey S. Nathan. But you can also find us at, on our Talk of Politics and Religion Without Killing Each Other. That's T-P-N-R pod, T-P-A-N-D-R pod. And we're on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. What else? Instagram and TikTok. We're on TikTok. <laughs> now, where uh, where did you grow up, Corey? And, and where are you from? And where did you grow up? If you know, if it's two different places. Yeah, so I'm from the old country, which uh, is Brooklyn. <laughs> so all, all my yeah, all my family's from Brooklyn, uh, but I grew up more on the Jersey side. Uh, older people like me will remember the song "My Hometown," the Bruce Springsteen song, okay. which is actually my hometown. That's uh, the freehold area of Central New Jersey, about 15 minutes from the shore. Oh man, so we got you. Uh, so we got a New York guy with us. Yeah, yeah, New York with a little bit of Jersey in me. So yeah, <laughs> but that, that was a great area. Uh, Bruce was he was about 20 years, 25 years older than me. But we grew up, there was about two towns north of me and maybe five or ten years older than me was Bon Jovi and his crew. Uh, and then a lot closer in age and two towns the other way were the guys, uh, and I don't know who 
who knows these bands, but like uh, the Blues Traveler. Oh, yeah. John Popper. Yeah, uh, yeah. Great harmonica player. Yeah. In fact, we just had him on our program about a month ago. He's awesome. So, okay. yeah, great, great towns, you know, great area. You know, like I said, we've got the shore down there, Rutgers and Princeton bars. So I, I, I really enjoyed growing up in that area. You know, on a side note, for people who do not know that John Popper is probably, I mean, he's got an amazing voice. I mean, anybody that, you know, remembers Blues Travelers, I mean, Blues Traveler, uh, you know, a hook and girl inside my head. Yeah. And, but aside from his voice, I don't think he ever got or gets enough props for his harmonica skill. I mean, he's got to be one of the great harmonica players of all time. You know what I mean? And, and I, I would, he, he absolutely is. I think that would stand up yeah. in, you know, anybody's argument. But so we got a, we got a Brooklyn kid who yeah. goes from, now, did you grow up there like all through adulthood or did you move around and, and live in a different spot? No, no. I, like I said, my family's from Jersey. Okay. Uh, excuse me. My, my, my family is from Brooklyn, but I'm mostly from the Jersey side. So, gotcha. you know, Monmouth County, Freehold area. So, yeah, most of my uh, youth from grade school through high school was was in that area. But I moved around a bit once I was 17, 18 years old. I moved around a bit. I lived in Northern California for a bit. I traveled around down south, which is where I met my wife. And then uh, we moved out here to uh, Southern California about in 1995. So I've been out here a long time. So how do we get a, you know, how do we get a Brooklyn kid out in SoCal who suddenly decides that, you know, people need to discuss politics in a much more civil and loving way than what we're known for doing. How do, how do you make that leap? <laughs> well, that's an interesting question because, you know, a, a lot of us uh, native New Yorkers, we have this reputation for being, you know, rough around the edges. The thing is, it's, a, it's an interesting comparison because I, I find that, I guess a good way to put it is that in New York, you got to be up against each other all the time, whether you're on the subway or walking out on the street. Uh, even in Jersey, it's, you know, a lot of us have that ethos about us. But the thing is, a lot of people might come across as kind of tough skinned or thick skinned, but underneath, we really got soft hearts. You know, we got to figure out how to live with each other, how to be with each other, how to be around each other. Whereas you get out here in LA, everybody's in their cars, the freeways, we're surrounded by this imaginary, you know, insulation, or actually, so it's not imaginary, it's an actual you know, this tin can that we're in all the time and not uh, called our cars and we're not connecting with each other. So what happens is instead of thick skinned and soft hearted, you can get really thin skinned and hard hearted. So I think that that di dichotomy, that dynamic defines a lot of how we've become and, and you know, the events uh, sociologically over the last decade, more a couple decades, actually, have exacerbated those tendencies I'm talking about social media. You know, if, if we're, if we're only throwing rhetorical lobs at each other and, and oftentimes we're doing it behind these anonymous profiles, you know, I'm Twitter number one, two, three, four, five, but not any humanity that I'm representing, then I don't risk the possibility of having to be accountable for what I say. You know, if similarly, like if you're in your car on the freeway and you flip somebody off, you don't risk the possibility of having to be accountable, even if it's somebody possibly punching you in the nose for what you say, if it's something stupid or, or offensive. You know, whereas if we're up against each other, we at least risk that possibility. And what I would say is 
if you, if you are in relationship with someone, then you can go deeper. You can, you can push those, those issues further and deeper. Even if you figure out that at the end of the day, you don't agree on something, you know, because, because you can't, you can't just be willy nilly with what you say. It's a, you, you have to account for another human being in front of you. And that other person has to account for your humanity. They're in front of you. There's no way around it. So, you know, so my, I mean, my own life story lends itself to some of this because I've put myself in situations where I've been at great odds on theological and political issues, but I, I never really thought about it until you asked it that way. The New York, the East side versus West side thing, East coast versus West coast thing, or New York versus LA thing. But I think there is uh, some of those ingredients working in this recipe. You know, and I, I, I've been fortunate and blessed to know people from New York, people from California and, and in between the, in between that gap. And there is a, you know, there's good people everywhere, good people of all walks of life and, and places, but the warmth of a good New Yorker is, let me see if I can say this right. It's almost like you got to earn it a little bit. You know, there's a little bit of, there's a little bit of protectiveness when you deal with somebody from, from the Big Apple and the Big Apple area. Once you get past it, they're ride or die. You know, like they've, they, you've been embraced yeah. and accepted. California, good people that I've met there, but it's a little bit different where the warmth is, the warmth is there out front, but underneath there's a layer of protection. So there is kind of like an, an opposite in the way both, both people, uh, present that. And I could not agree with you more. And I really want people to think about this. And interestingly enough, we've talked about this whenever we've talked to, uh, uh, models and, and, uh, and, and cam room models. Guys, do not give into the false power given by anonymity, by keyboard distance, by driving in a car past somebody, don't think that just because you're not in front of a person who you have to make eye contact me accountable with, that that gives you the right to be a jackass because it doesn't. And I think that that's a true sign of, of maturity. Corey, like what you just pointed out is that accountability should be there whether you're inside your car or you're face to face with somebody. Yeah. And, yeah, for sure. and, and, you know, there's no greater pathway towards accountability like connection, I think. And so, who are some of your influences? Because I, you know, you've, you've crossed theological, uh, moats, so to speak, or gaps and, and socio-political gaps. Who are some of the people that you've read or that you have followed that have, you know, made that pathway easier for you? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I, cause I do read pretty voraciously and it, and it's reading that was the main activity that ultimately brought me to uh, where I am theologically now. I grew up in an observe. Actually, we went to an Orthodox synagogue. I grew up Jewish uh, and I became a Christian when I was 29 years old. So, you know, a lot of my time in this uh, that season uh, a number of years ago was spent reading. So some of the early writers and thinkers that really, really resonated with me, C.S. Lewis, who a lot of people like for his uh, his Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, or that that whole series. But he has a whole bunch of other theological and what's called apologetics work mm-hmm. that um, – sorry, that's that's Charles Mingus III. We were going to talk about some jazz. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He's named after Charles Mingus III. Sorry about that. Charlie. 
Um, so, uh, I, oh, but actually, I should say that there are jazz musicians who are immensely influential. I mean, a living jazz great, Wynton Marsalis, you know, just his thinking and, and, and how he uses music as a way to, to talk about uh, religious things and political things. And, and his music speaks to that. You know, jazz, jazz is a representation of democracy at its best. You know, jazz, in a way, when it's done, there's this submission to the score, the submission to the composition, but also the, the freedom of the individuals who are all playing in that score amongst each other, amongst other virtuosos. So he's very much an influence. Uh, Marsalis and other great virtuosos. Um, other, other influences. There's a guy named N.T. Wright, Tom Wright, great historian, great theologian who early on in my time as a Christian, um, sorry, I just walked upstairs with the, with the dog to try to settle him down. <laughs> but, um, Tom, Tom Wright did a lot of great history work as, as an academic. I think he's, he's an Oxford, he might be a Cambridge guy actually, but he, he helped me understand and place myself imaginatively in first century Israel when the events of, you know, Jesus walking the earth and his ministry, his earthly ministry was all going on. So I could imagine myself there more readily with all that history work that he did. So he's a big influence. But also there were a number of other people um, of, of varying degrees that uh, also were great apologists. So not not like, hey, I'm sorry, kind of apologist, but apologist meaning being able to make a ready defense for the hope that's within you, you know, in the style that I defer to is with gentleness and respect or winsomeness and respect. So there are a number of other scholars, thinkers, speakers, apologists that um, have really helped me figure out, like early on, explain to my Jewish family why I believed in this Jesus thing, you know, or. Later on, when I got involved in churches, I found one of the problems wasn't necessarily theological. It was uh, there's a lot of cultural identifiers, cultural priorities that aren't necessarily based on the Bible. It's like I walked in and everybody was or recent years, it's more obvious, like a lot of Christians, for whatever reason, are all Trump all day, every day. You know, and I just like, I don't know, this isn't reckoning with what I'm reading in Scripture. So just being able to have conversations who are just diehard Trump fans, not that I'm like, I'm pretty conservative, actually, but like Trump to me just isn't conservative politically or certainly. I mean, he's like the anti-scripture, anti-Bible. There couldn't be. Anyway, that's that's a whole other conversation. But being able to have a conversation with somebody who is a big Trump fan, just being like having that equipment, having the equipment of someone who can engage in, in important conversations uh, in a meaningful way, in a relationship-building way, in a redeeming way, as opposed to how a lot of those conversations tend to go. So, yeah, those those were – I kind of went off the track here with, in terms of influences, but, you know, influences have very real practical impact on day-to-day important stuff, so – now here you you've you've crossed uh, you've crossed religious barriers, you've crossed uh, political barriers. What are three challenges? And and you host a, a a successful podcast. What are three challenges for you in your day to day routine? You know, Corey Nathan gets up x time in the morning, does this, does that. 
what are three challenges that you have find consistent in all of these, all of this barrier jumping that you've done and, and done it with, without, um, without killing people as is the topic of, yeah. of your show. Are you talking about for me personally or specific subjects or topics that have come up that have been challenging on a regular basis? I, I would say personally, because I think, okay. I think a lot of people find themselves in similar situations. I, I don't think maybe to the scale that, you know, you have, you have courageously taken on, but I think some people find themselves, you know, mom or dad follow this politician I, I disagree, but it comes up at dinner, you know, but what are three challenges that you have found when it comes to barrier crossing? Yeah, that's a great question. And I might get a little bit more personal than, than might be comfortable for, for, for folks, but um, I, I'll put it in three buckets. One is I'll call it this. Uh, help me understand. I don't, this doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't understand. So that's that's one bucket. The second bucket, which is kind of related, is frankly, it's, it's a uh, mental health. I, I've never been more keenly aware of how important mental health is and how fragile my own is. And then the third is related to that, which is proclivities that I have that are directly related to my mental health or ways that I've dealt some in healthy ways, other ways not so healthy, um, in order to, to figure out that what's going on mentally and emotionally. So what I mean is the first bucket being this doesn't make sense. I described one before, like, Hey, I believe in the Bible. I believe the Bible is authoritative. Maybe not the way that other people do. Like they just take it as literature and it's nothing more. Then there's some others who read every word and every tittle as like the literal. And I just don't think that's a very good way to read it or frankly, to be faithful to the Bible. But I do believe the Bible is authoritative. So for example, it says the fruit of the spirit or these good virtues that we should have is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And when a lot of my buddies from church are all in on Trump, I'm like, he is none of those things. Or the Bible also talks about these seven things. No, uh, these six, no, these seven, the Lord hates. It literally says that these six things, no, seven, which was like a literary, um, it was a, a tool that sometimes poets used back then. And it talks about these these things that just aren't good in the sight of God. And Trump, it's amazing how accurately that describes Trump's words, actions, and character. You know, so we come across virtually every page of the Bible, and it's screaming out against the, this this Trump character. And and it's it's it says to me like I, I just don't understand how we're all buying in on this guy. And it's not just Trump. I don't need to focus on that, but that's something that every it's a frame of reference that everybody is very familiar with. So I use that as just one. But it could be any number of things, like how we treat immigrants, how we treat widows and orphans. Like I see the Bible saying one thing, and, and a lot of my brothers and sisters in church have decided that, nah, you know, this uh, Fox News crowd is really better for me, so I'm going to go with them, even though it, like, I know it says that in the Bible, or it doesn't really say that in the Bible. I'm going to get a different translation. It's the Sean Hannity translation. So not to pick on, uh, you know, Fox News fans or, or Trump fans <laughs> too much, but... It's just something I struggle with. Like, I'm an Orthodox Christian now. Like, it's just something like, help me understand. So that also, because it it also affects us, if it really means something to us, it affects us on multiple levels. Right, right. You know, it says, the greatest commandment is love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's describing us, our humanity. We have heart, soul, 
mind and strength. We have heart. We have emotions. We have soul. We have the uh, sense of transcendence in us. Mind. We think and strength. We feel things. We palpably feel things. Right. So I it 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 transcend like when something is that important to me, I feel it on all those levels to the degree that I start to tweak out mentally. And listen, the last couple of years, we've all been trying to survive the zombie apocalypse. So, like, you know, a lot of us have been becoming more keenly aware of our mental health. So it affects me on that level on a day to day basis. And I've been trying to do things, trying to accrue good habits. Um, to to maintain mental health, not just my physical health, like eating good and working out. But I'll tell you what, man, like over a lifetime, I have um, I have fallen prey to certain proclivities. Like there have been seasons in my life where I drank too much. Bottom line, there have been seasons in my life where I gave in to, you know, angry fits. There have been seasons in my life where there was any, any number of things that like that just weren't good. They weren't healthy. They weren't godly. So, you know, in order to try to um, numb the pain, in order to try to um, deal with what's going on in my head, in order to try. And sometimes I deal with it in a healthier way than others. Mm-hmm. But every day it's a dogfight. You know, some of us, it's easier. We get up, you know, we eat our celery. We go for our 10 mile run. We read Aristotle and then we make our thousand, you know, our hundred you know, sales calls. And then, you know, <laughs> yeah. we, we have our leave it to beaver moment with our wife and our kids. And it's a very picture of like perfect live, you know, lived out the perfect uh, picture of, of how, you know, the, the American dream, if you will. For me, I don't know, man, it ain't that easy. It's a dogfight to do the right thing sometimes. It's a, and uh, so I, I don't know if that answers your question, but those are the things that come to mind. Well, I, I think, <clears throat> I mean, I, I think that the honesty is real and I think more people wake up in, in a dog fight than, than not. And I think even people who, yeah, I mean, I think I'm coming up on some like 75 guests or something like that over the course of the show. But even the people, and this is part of why, one of the reasons why I, I like interviewing people because people see you as an expert, you know, they can see you on podcasts. And they might think that you wake up and that you're doing the, the leave the beaver, you know, morning and, and you do the 10 mile run. And, and when, when you talk about the, the honesty of it, I think that, you know, like in the terms of connecting with people from, from a different standpoint of life or, or belief, that's doing it because you're being honest. And I think a lot of people feel like, Oh, if I don't wake up and have a perfect morning and I run my 10 miles and drink my kale juice, I'm a failure. People who are out there crushing it, people who are influencers, people who are out there, you know, being entrepreneurs and, and business people, they're still waking up doing a dogfight just like you. It's just, yeah, you know, it's different, but it's still I, a dogfight. Yeah. I have to say, and this is related to another question that you asked, uh, is that I wish we were all more candid with each other, not, not to encourage each other to fall prey to our proclivities, or to make it okay to be, to live a, a sinful or harmful life, whether you're harming yourself or others or both. But I, I think if we were more candid about it, if we were more raw with each other when necessary and had some support for like just being human, learning how to uh, be, not be, be a better human, but human better. You, right. you know, like yeah. we all have to people better. So it's related to something that you asked before because 
one of my mentors, somebody that I became very close with, is a guy named Ravi Zacharias. And he's, he's very well known in uh, the Christian community. He's probably, before he died almost exactly two years ago, he was arguably the world's most uh, renowned apologist. Uh, very erudite guy, very smart, accomplished. Well, after his death, it came out that Ravi was a serial sexual predator. Uh, there were uh, a number of women, in particular massage parlors, that he used his position to take advantage of them. Uh, and I, I had no idea. A lot of us had no idea. You know, I, I and it's, it's very um, painful. It's still very painful for me. Um, you know, and obviously there were other victims, uh, not just the victims themselves, but their families and, and, and you know, other people that it affected all, all around them. You know, but but I also think about Ravi like he had he he didn't have. You know, when we screw up, like, listen, I, I, I you know, I, I'll admit to the fact that I had an unfortunate lap dance incident here and there. But like, you know, not, not that that's uh, that's the picture of like saintly behavior. Right. But like. Everybody was willing participants in that right. uh, situation. It's a far cry from what <laughs> what he what he had done in his life. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge difference. Yeah, but also it's like I could see where that decision could lead to other for a guy like me too, where you know I I, I mean I don't know I could see where it could lead to other things, and that would be much more destructive to my marriage, to you know my life as a husband, as a, my responsibilities as a husband and a father, you know. But I had other good friends around me where I could be like, you know, that was fun fellas, but like, I, I, that's not the kind of thing that I want to indulge in here because mm-hmm. it, it could just go down a, a bad path. Uh, whereas I think a guy like Ravi didn't have the permission from himself or others or the support system around him to stop that thing before it started. He couldn't afford to look even remotely sinful, you know? So I, I could see where somebody could go down that path if we're not being candid with each other, if we're not being real with each other. Like when I hear guys get up and, and like, hey, guys, let's get real. Let's talk about where we're falling short. And some guy tells me he's eating too many double fudge cookies. I know he's full of crap, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm like, really? Right. Like, how, how are you, you know, how are you going to display uh, your godliness? Well, you know, I'm not going to cuss anymore. I'm like, you, you're so I can't even talk to you. Right. We're done having this conversation. You know, because first of all, I'm from, like I said, you, you know, we talked about it. I'm from New York. So, like, we don't cuss. We curse. <laughs> like, don't give me the cut. Like, then I already know we're not on the same page. So, well, anyway. Well, I think there's a. Yeah, it's all interrelated, man. I think there's a difference between, like, you know, superficial honesty and and rawness, but rawness for the point of, of connectivity, right? Like, like there's a rawness of. If I'm if I'm at a bar and I order a drink and I see the bartender's just you know if I pick up on the vibe that something's not right with this person I just met and I can look at them and say hey are you okay and he or she yeah. might say well you know you don't want to hear my problems but I'm worried because my kid is sick like mm-hmm. that's rawness and then you know I could say or they might say well my mom is sick and I'm like. Wow, you know, my, my mom was sick not too long ago. Like, well, what's wrong? Like, that is us now being raw, but for the sake of connectivity. Yeah. And I think that that yeah, goes absolutely. back to, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the whole point of, not the whole point, but 
the the foundation of of your show, if I can be so bold to make that that leap, is that we can connect without hating each other if we connect on a level that surpasses our politics and and things like that. Like we're all human. I don't care if you you're red, blue, conservative, liberal, right, left, middle, whatever. At the end of the day, everybody just wants to make it to midnight. I always say I want to either make it to midnight, I want to make it to eleven fifty nine. Like I give me enough to give you that <laughs> and you, you want if yeah. you got kids, you want them safe. If you got family, you want them to be all right. And and you, you just want to be able to go to bed in safety. And there's not a creature on the earth that wants that that does not want that, regardless of what they believe in or who they vote for. And I think that if we connect on that raw level, then 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 um a lot more relationships get built up. Corey, let me ask you something real. What's your favorite part of talking politics and religion without killing each other? What's your favorite part of the podcast? And this is going to sound cheesy, but the entire thing. <laughs> so, no, I, I like that. So it's, it's so literally even like the more mundane parts of it. it it's kind of like when I, when I was a kid, where I'm not when, when I was a kid. For a lot of my life, I, I was I produced theater. You know, big. Broadway size stages, you know, little 99 seaters. And I loved being in the theater and I loved every part of it, whether I was an actor, writer, director, producer, or literally like in those 99 seaters, oftentimes I'd be the one cleaning the toilets before the, before the play. And um, I loved all of it because it was all participating in this bringing great stories to life. Similarly with podcasting, there's like the inviting the guests, you know, recording the guests, prepping to, to make sure that you have a good interview, a good conversation with the guests. There's a post-production, the editing, there's the, the uh, social, <laughs> right, you know, right now, there's all, everything. Of, all of me is trembling at all that stuff that you just said, like, oh, the post-production, <laughs> oh, the tracking the guests. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's all, it's all like, first of all, a lot of it was new to me. I, I never knew how, I knew a lot of editors some of my best friends and I've worked a long time in entertainment advertising. So there's about 200, 300, maybe 400 different people who owe me big time favors who are the best at avid and, and final cut and premier editors in the world. But I never got on the board myself. So it was, it was intimidating for me to hop on the board. But now that I'm doing it, it's like I've learned a new language and I love it because it's part of this thing of bringing these great, com- these important conversations to life. And, and being able to share it with uh, with a group of people who are interested in having these types of conversations in this way. So the editing, the social, like doing TikTok, I'm freaking, I got gray hair, man. Like, you know, I'm the least cool person on the face of the earth, but like, <laughs> but like I'm doing TikTok because why? Because these important, these conversations are important to have. And it's, it's another place where other people, th- th- that's just, that's where the, that's where the people are, you know, that's, that's where they're at. So just learning it and, and getting over the intimidation factor, um, you know, and even the, the more mundane parts, like, um, I, I don't know, the editing comes to mind because that's a little bit more mundane, right? Um, because it's very, it's a mechanical exercise. I'm a more creative guy, but, um, but somebody said to a great, uh, 20th century uh, theologian said, uh, Heschel said that there's sanctity in the mundane. That's, that's where the sanctity is, you know? And, and I, I think there's, there's Western or Eastern uh, philosophies that just 
in the present, in the now, yeah. in the flower, in the, you know, petting my dog. There's, there's um, a sacred moment there. So I, I've come to embrace the mundane parts of it as well. <laughs> in, uh, in, the, in the theme of leveling up, you know, we like to give listeners takeaways. And usually I say about at least three takeaways that yeah. they can use. And today I want to focus on what are three takeaways that you could give to listeners on how to uh, either A, up their political awareness, regardless of, you know, what side of the fence they fall on, and or you can pick both or, or the other, or how to level up their ability to communicate with people without, you know, without it turning to just, just bloodshed. You know, like sitting at Christmas dinner or Thanksgiving dinner or Hanukkah or whatever it is or Ramadan, and talking to some relative or friend with opposing political views and it not killing friendships, what are three takeaways that you could suggest people do today, right now, to, to alleviate that, to cut that out of their life? Yeah. So I think th- three that come to mind right away are be a better consumer of news. That That's one, and I'll talk about that a little bit in a second. Be a better consumer of news. Learn the phrase, help me understand. And then, and then three is focus on the relational over the transactional. Mm. So I'll talk about those three just a bit because I, I know we're probably going over on time here, but, um, the, the be a better consumer of news. Listen, there are really good journalists, really good thinkers in any number of publications. This, this crap about like, oh, the MSM, you can't, you can't trust mainstream media, you know, or, they're all this, they're all that. No, no, no. It's all, it's all liberal. No, 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 no. There are really good writers, really good thinkers in, in so many different publications from like just reporting. There's uh, Robert Costa in, in the Washington Post. There's Maggie Haberman in the New York Times. I, I know really good journalists in, uh, in Breitbart and the Washington Times. So find those good reporters or the thinkers, the columnists like David Brooks in the New York Times or George Will in, in the Washington Post or the Atlantic has any number of them. Uh, there's independent media outlets too, like the Dispatch and Bulwark. You can be a good, uh, thoughtful, intelligent consumer of news, but you have to be discerning, weed out the crap and, and find good writers across a diversity of, of perspectives. Will Salatan has a very different perspective than, um, than Pete Wainer, Peter Wainer, who writes for the Atlantic and the New York Times. That one's, you know, one's a long time conservative, one's a long time more liberal progressive, but they're both really intelligent and, and it gives you a more well-rounded understanding of what's going on in the world and how to think about big important issues. So that's one. Two is help me understand. If, if I got into, I'll tell, I'll share this by way of a story. My kid, I have three kids. One of my kids, uh, he's 18. When the vaccines first came out, he wasn't resistant, but he was hesitant. And his thinking was, I just, I just don't want to be a science experiment. So right away, a lot of people who are much more in favor of taking the vaccine just pounced on him, shamed him, harassed him, you know, just made him feel like a bad person. And frankly, I was one of them. And like an 18 year old kid, he reacted the way a lot of 18 year old kids would be like, hell with all you guys. I ain't doing it now. Forget it. And you know, after the uh, FDA approved the vaccines, I circled back with them and I was like, listen, man, I, I because I was part of the dog pile and the rabbit, 
I lost the privilege of talking to you about it, but can I talk to you about it? He's like, no, 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 no. I'm like, no, no, no. Let's try this again. It's been a few months and I am not going to say anything. I mean, I will, but my, what I'll say is questions because I just want to understand where you're coming from. And that's where I learned that he, he was just trying to think it through for himself and come to his own conclusions, but people didn't give him the oxygen to do that. They just made him feel like an evil, terrible, awful, dumb person, you know, and that just alienated him. So I think that if we, if we are engaged in battle, if we come into every conversation with our dukes up, or at best come into it as like a debate or a contest and we're going to win the contest, you ain't going nowhere. Right, right. I, you know, it, you, it might be satisfying to yourself. You might think kind of out of vanity that others are watching and I got to score one for my team. No, we, we got plenty of that and it's not doing anything. Well, it's, but it's definitely, you, uh, you, you know, what you put out is what you're going to get back. Yeah. But if you, if you try to understand people, there's a lot more nuance to individual human beings' perspectives. And at the very least, you'll learn something, you know, and, and by allowing that person to be the human being, to share their nuanced point of view, um, they'll be more fertile. They'll be more open for, for you to share yours if you get to that point. But it requires a different mindset, which is kind of the related part three, which is if you're focusing on the transactional, like, hey, I'm going to convince you in 30 minutes or less that you are completely wrong and you're going to vote completely differently according to how I convince you to do so. That's transactional. And frankly, it ain't going to happen. But if you focus on the relational, you know, first of all, focusing on a smaller circle of people that you can't actually have some influence with and can have influence over you. Those are much more meaningful. Those are much more long um, lasting uh, impacts that you can make. Uh, and it's more meaningful to our whole community, you know, whereas if everything's transactional, it's just like, OK, I convinced them it's done. H- how deep are those roots, though? How meaningful is that? How long is that going to go? And frankly, folks who think that way, that think they're the greatest salesman on the face of the earth and can convince anybody of anything, selling ice, to, you know, to an Eskimo or whatever, like they're, they're not nearly as good as they think they are, because I, I just it, it doesn't happen that way. Change and influence doesn't happen that way. It happens with the relational over the transactional. So those are the three things. I hope that hope that makes sense. In keeping with the theme of sexiness, what is the sexiest thing about you? <laughs> uh, what was sexy about me 20, 30 years ago <laughs> was very different than what might be sexy about me now. Um, if, if you ask my lovely bride, she, she might say, like, there's absolutely nothing sexy about that. <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I, I think, um, you know, I used to be good looking. Uh, you know, I used to have the, the six pack. I used to be, you know, in good shape. Uh, I used to be, I don't know, maybe not quite as engaging as I am now. <laughs> uh, but, I, you know, here's the irony, though. Understanding my own limitations, uh, even my intelligence, like not placing a ton of, of weight on my own intelligence and my own good looks, my own capacity – I think in an ironic, weird, and poetic, beautiful way, maybe makes me more sexy. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> in the world of Corey Nathan, what makes a person sexy? Oh, man. I think, well, beauty, they say, is an eye of the beholder. Um, I, I find that there's poetry and beauty um, in, in all living things. And what we've been talking about a lot is that 
human connection. Uh, I, I think I, I, so. I'm putting it in a little bit differently. I'm not saying sexy so much as beauty, but um, human connection and understanding um, the depth of individuals, the individuality of of different people um, and, and their stories. Like I don't know. To me, to me, that's actually pretty sexy. <laughs> It is now time for the quick game where we like to give our guests a chance okay. to run through some entertaining questions. Corey, are you ready? Not, I don't think I am, but I'll give it a whirl. <laughs> <laughs> what color is your toothbrush? Pink. If you could be any animal, what would it be and why? Dog. Definitely a dog. They know how to relax. That's a good, that, that's a good <laughs> answer. Uh, what is one of the things that you would put on your bucket list? This is going to turn that question around a little bit. To not want the things I don't have or haven't done, but to want the things that I already have. Does that make sense? Oh, like, 100%. I, to, I, to think, be, I think that's a beautiful answer. Like... Yeah. yeah, the thing on your bucket list is to appreciate the things that you have and not chase the things you don't. Yeah. I, I think this should be on all of yeah. our bucket lists. What is your favorite summer activity? Summer activity? Yeah. Oh, boy. Well, I, I do enjoy walking on the beach and going down to the beach because it's cooler there. So that, that, that would probably be it, to, to drive out to the beach and, and uh, go walk in there, um, take a stroll. Uh, but I'm not an ocean guy. I'm not a surfer guy. So it's really just to get the, the wind of the, and, and hear the ocean and just get some of that peace going. Because we were talking jazz before the show and I got to get a jazz question in. Describe jazz in three words. Oh boy. Okay. <laughs> um, virtuosity. Oh no, no. Yeah. Virtuosity faithfulness and companionship collaboration virtuosity uh faithfulness and collaboration can you name four of the seven dwarves <laughs> uh dopey grumpy sleepy and mo <laughs> i don't know <laughs> You know, it's, I have asked that question. Maybe I've asked that question ten times over the two seasons of guests. Nobody has gotten it right the first time. Everybody goes. Usually, <laughs> usually they're like, "Damn it, Jackson, why you gotta ask me a question like that?" But yeah, I don't know why, but that is a question. That I, I think because you have to go in, into a number sequence. And um, what is your favorite movie quote? <laughs> the first one that came to mind is uh, from the Green Mile, and I don't know if I can say it on the air, but they come in and, and you know, uh, one of the guards has Coca-Cola for some of the, the prisoners, yeah. and uh, one of the prisoners, he's the bad guy. He's like, he's like, I, I want a Coke, I want a Coke, and, and, the, and the guard goes, why do you get a Coke? And he goes, can I, can I, it's not really a curse, but can I say it? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> it's a reference to his, pro he goes, why do you get a Coke? He goes, because I got a big Becker. <laughs> <laughs> Last but not that was a first, I'm sure there are better ones, but that's the first one that came to mind. Yeah, that's why it's a quick game. Last but not least, and probably my favorite question, who inspires you? Oh boy. 
a lot of folks that I'm with inspire me, uh, but I, I draw inspiration uh, from the resilience and openness of my lovely bride, uh, the gal I've been married to for almost 25 years. Nice, nice. I draw inspiration from my kids. They teach me something every day. Uh, I draw inspiration from folks who have been through it and are going through it. Um, friends of mine that, you know, sick or financial struggles or, um, and, but right now, because I'm a New Yorker and two of my favorite teams are the Mets and the Rangers, uh, hockey team and, and, uh, baseball teams, I'm drawing a lot of inspiration from the Mets and the Rangers right now. So <laughs> that's all good. <laughs> good people, sexy people. That wraps up our, uh, our interview today with the thoughtful and the, the deep. And the wildly entertaining Corey Nathan. Corey, let people know one more time where they can find you. Thanks, Jax. I really appreciate that. So the, the podcast is super easy to find. The easiest way is politicsandreligion.us. It's politicsandreligion.us. You can find me personally on all the Twitters and socials at Corey S. Nathan. C U R E Y S as in Sam Nathan. Corey S. Nathan. Or the um, podcast at TPNR Pod, TPANDR Pod. So, yeah, hope to hope to engage with folks out there. Corey, thank you one more time, and uh, we'll see you soon. Sounds good, Jackson. I really appreciate getting to know you a little bit, and conversation was great. Hope we do it again. All right, take care. Change. Are you gonna love me?